All right, in 1973, there was a young director. He had maybe done one movie that wasn't very successful at all named George. And he had this idea for creating a fantasy type movie like nobody had ever done before. He had this vision that most of the movies of his time had lost the sense of adventure and romanticism. And so he wanted to create a movie that people could escape to for a bit. And so he sat down with his first ideas, which were nothing more than a couple of odd names and places. And he would try to create stories around those names and places. And the first title they had of his script was called The Journal of the Wills. He took that to Warner Brothers, and they entirely rejected him. They said, do something more grounded in reality. Later, after a couple of rewrites, he went to Disney, and ironically, they entirely rejected them as well. So he kept writing, and after four major rewrites, his movie got funding by Century Fox, and they began filming, and the last final title for the movie script was The Legend of the Star Killer, The Journal of the Wills, Saga One, Star Wars. And Star Wars opened up in a small group of select theaters. And before we get into a single scene of lightsaber battles or the known talks about the force or the dark side, we get a blank black screen of stars and scrolling font text. And it says, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Because what George Lucas was doing is he was introducing us to a world like we had never seen before. And so every good story needs an introduction, especially his story introduction needed to invite us to lay aside our assumptions for just a moment and escape into this world of Star Wars. And we gladly do it. We set aside our assumptions. We don't yell at the TV that there's no such thing as lightsabers, but instead we set those aside because in exchange, we are gonna be entertained, inspired, and our imagination is going to be stimulated. Every good story needs a good introduction. And John's gospel is no different. It has a prelude, a scrolling text before we even get into the stories, except instead of a long, long time ago, we get in the beginning was the word. But this introduction is so much more important. You can fast forward the scrolling text on Star Wars and still pick up what's going on, but you cannot fast forward the prelude on John's gospel because the stakes are so much higher. He's not gonna invite us into a world that we can set aside when we're done after being entertained. He is going to invite us into a world and then John's message and the Holy Spirit through him is to invite us to believe that this story is reality. What's terrifying about John's gospel is once we pick it up and once we enter into it, we're invited to believe it and might not ever come out of it. And so before we get a single story of Jesus, before we get a single moment of him healing or him preaching or him teaching, we get the introduction. And in the introduction, what we're gonna talk about today, we get two warnings and a gift. Warnings because when you see Jesus and who he is, and the gospel that he preaches, it's gonna be unbelievable and a gift. Because for those who do believe, what happens to them can only be described as an act of God in new creation beginning, a act of new birth. And so the first warning that we get is that Jesus won't fit our categories. He was in the world 
and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world that Jesus comes to is the human world. It is the world that he created and yet is cut off from him because it has decided to create its own standards and categories apart from him. In Jesus' time, that is the Greco-Roman world of power that is dominating Jerusalem as the center. It is the world that does not live under the rule and reign of God and his kingdom. It's a, it's a world that, despite being created by God, now stands against God. And in this world of the Roman Empire, their main categories were military power, the imperial cult, and economic domination. And so when God himself shows up on the scene in Jesus as a homeless man who dies for his enemies and his powers in serving, the world cannot know that because it, it doesn't even fit the categories or boxes that it has. And so the world did not recognize Jesus because he didn't fit into their world's assumptions. He didn't fit into the categories and boxes. And so the world's standards and their assumptions, they blind them from actually seeing and seeing Jesus. It blinds them from knowing him. And this isn't the type of knowing which is knowing about Jesus and facts. This is the intimate type of knowing in a personal relationship of Jesus. And this type of knowing, the reason that categories and assumptions in these boxes get in the way of knowing Jesus is because one of the biggest obstacles to knowing a person is to try to fit them into our categories and our boxes. One of the saddest times that I've seen this is one of my friends who uh, was from Kuwait and had spent his uh, time here in the States going to school. I invited him to a Bible study, even though he was a Christian, and he showed up and it was a great time and I was really glad that he was there, but he didn't say a single word throughout the entire Bible study. And my friend Abdul waited till the last moment when we got done praying to stand up and say, wait, I have something to say. And this is before everybody tries to leave. This is like in the last moment. He says, I have something to say. And Abdul begins to very emotionally recount his story of what it has been like to be in America with the name Abdul Rahman and looking the way that he looks and feeling like people never really knew him. And feeling like people assumed that he might be connected some way to terrorism and it broke his heart and you could tell that it really hurt him as a person because people didn't know him they made assumptions about him and that is what we see that assumptions assumptions are like boxes and boxes suffocate people because boxes are not made for people they are made for things and jesus is not an idea he is not a thing but jesus is a person so I wonder what assumptions we drag from our world onto God. Our world says comfort and pleasure are the ultimate gain of humanity. And so maybe we drag that onto our version of God and we think if there is a God, then he would never let pain and suffering enter into my life. But Jesus of the Gospels doesn't fit into that category because he says following him is going to be like taking up a cross daily. And so I wonder if Maybe in the seasons where Jesus feels distant, is it because Jesus is distant? Or is it because we have tried to get him to fit into these categories the world has created for us? Or maybe we think that our, our world says, hatred is valid so long as it is against the of someone offending your cause or your beliefs. And so maybe we think God probably hates the same people that I hate, right? 
But Jesus doesn't fit that category. Here he comes in the Gospels, and Jesus dies for men who spit on his face, beat him senseless, and then mock him as he hung naked in front of his mother and family. We need to be careful whenever we have into our heart the thought, my God would never, and then fill in the blank. Because maybe Jesus would actually break the boxes that we want to have. That is why the introduction warns us. Look, if you try to take Jesus and fit him into the grid of the world, then not only will you be blind to him, but you're going to miss out on knowing him intimately in a personal relationship. God shows up often in different ways than we expect. And if we are clinging so tightly onto those assumptions, we might miss him entirely. For some of us, these assumptions have kept us from believing at all. And we think that I really can't believe or follow or obey Jesus until he will bend down and get into my categories. Some of us have been following Jesus almost our whole lives, but by trying to take Jesus and force him into our assumptions and our categories, we've turned to a fake Jesus instead of the real Jesus. So I want you guys for a moment to discuss. Either you can write in your journal, you can turn to somebody next to you, and I want you to think about the question, what are some of the categories and assumptions that our world has that clash with Jesus? What are some of the categories and assumptions of our world today that clash with Jesus? Go ahead and turn to somebody or journal for a moment there. All right, the second warning, Jesus won't fit our religion. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. His own being the chosen people of Israel. Not just the world at large anymore now, but the specifically the chosen people of Israel who were to be the people of God, who were going to be the blessed nation that God would know. The people who, when God comes to visit them, they really they should get it. They are the chosen religious group. They were the right people at the right time who did all of the right things. And they knew that God promised to come back to them. They were waiting on the Messiah. They had the prophets that had prepared them. They were trying diligently to keep the law. And yet not only do they know, not know Jesus, but they reject him. They do not receive him. Sometimes our religion not only does not help, but it hurts. Sometimes when we cling on too tightly onto a human religion that our hands cannot be open to receive the gift that Jesus is. Sometimes when Jesus shows up, the people that are opposed to him are actually the ones that bear his name. Nicodemus, the Jewish religious leader, comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and struggles to understand or believe in Jesus. And then in the next chapter of John, the Samaritan woman who's had five husbands believes him on the spot and then becomes the first evangelist. The man who is literally blind gets to see Jesus. And then the religious rulers and the Jewish council begin to persecute Jesus for healing. The Sanhedrin is the one that put him on the cross while a thief hangs next to him confesses him as Savior, and Jesus promises that he'll be with him in paradise that day. It seems that those who are among God's people, sometimes we could have the hardest time receiving Jesus. Sometimes religion ends up being baggage when it becomes a man-made type of religion that we have to work for. Why does, why does religion get in the way of receiving a gift like that? It's because religion, apart from Jesus, it's a way to work yourself up to God's good graces. Religion that's based on your position and what you have done or what group you belong to or where have you been born or the doctrine that you hold, that type of religion will lead in two directions. It's either going to puff you up in pride because you've done enough and so God owes you. Or you're going to be crushed under the unbearable weight when you fail. Religion, apart from the actual Jesus of the Gospels, it's either going to make you say in your heart, I don't need the gift because I've done it on my own. Or you will say in your heart with actually a false sense of humility, I am too unworthy to receive the gift because I have not done enough. Which is... It's just another way of putting your trust in yourself and not in the giver of the gift. Jesus will not fit our religion because he's a gift. A gift that is so beautiful and so gracious and so full of truth and so full of love. A gift that does not ask for you to do something in return to receive it because that is no longer a gift. We need this warning because whether we have followed Jesus for one day or our whole lives, these two warnings are the two categories that we are prone to fall back into. 
both of them get in the way of the gift. Once uh, there was this couple in Phoenix that had two daughters. So one of the daughters came to the parents and had asked for their college savings ahead of time. She said, I want to go off to New York and I want to study. And so they gave her the college savings and then found out later that when she went to New York, she used the money basically to support herself as an Instagram influencer and a partier. And they found out heartbreakingly from other people because she had cut them off entirely. They found out that she began to dive into drugs and entirely get lost in her own life. And they couldn't talk to her because she had just cut them entirely off. Meanwhile, the other daughter had seen the parents in their struggle because they gave her the college savings, but in order to give it to her, they actually had to empty out part of their retirement. And so their dad had to go and get a second job. And out of the overwhelming sense of wanting to help, the second daughter began to take up extra hours and a second job as well to help the family for the damage that had been done by her sister. But then when the pandemic hits and New York gets hit hard, the daughter in New York gets a last second trip and flies back home and she has the audacity without calling for three years to show up at the front door to ask for help. Mom and dad answer the door. The daughter doesn't find out yet because she, the other daughter, had been working that double time job when she came home. And so she doesn't find out. She comes home and what she sees is that there's a full blown party at the house. Mom and dad had actually received her with open arms, loved her and called the closest friends and relatives to celebrate the fact that she was back, happy and healthy. And so she pulls into the driveway to see this party, to see their parents who had been hurting so much from their sister leaving and cutting them off now are celebrating her return. How would you feel? What would you say to your parents if that was you? And I want now for you a moment to just journal and think about that question, that story is if you were in it or turn to the one next to you and discuss, how would you feel? What would you say to your parents? Go ahead and discuss that for a moment.
Maybe pulling up into the driveway, your response might have been something like the older brother in the story that Jesus tells to the Jewish crowd around him. Look, all these years, the brother says to the father, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Sometimes our religion gets in the way of us receiving the gift because we find it as a way of earning it ourselves. But the gift, and this is why we need the warnings, the gift is to become a child of God. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To anyone at all who looks at Jesus, at his life, and what he did, and trusts in him, Anyone who wants and desires Jesus and sees how he lived and sees that as truth and something to put trust in, anyone at all who is willing to trust that God is that good, really is that loving. And when we look at Jesus and see God himself full of grace and truth, if you believe that, if you trust in that, then you have the right to become a child of God. Not a chance to earn your position not a opportunity to convince why you belong in the family, not a title to maintain or to prove yourself the right, the power, the authority. That is what that word there means. It means the right, the power, the authority to become a child of God. That is what God gives to those who trust and believe in Jesus, to become a child of God himself. This is, this is not the language that Paul uses, actually, which is the language of God adopting us from outside of the family into the family. But John uses the language of birth, which gives on a whole different picture. Because for those who believe in Jesus, something mysterious has happened. A mysterious birth from above that makes you a part of the family of God, that makes God your father and Jesus the firstborn brother, the family that Jesus leads, it means that you belong to him like a child belongs to his father. It means you reflect the image of your parent just like kids look like their parents. And just in case you think it's something that you can do, it says no, that this birth, it does not come from blood. So it doesn't come from the group that you were born into. It doesn't come from the church that you grew up at. It's not from the will of the flesh. It's not your desires to change. It's not your positive thoughts that get you into be a child of God. This is not from the will of man. Your attempts to do better and better and your best-willed promises to God that next time you're not going to mess up. No, it is the will and power of God that brings about new birth. Our only portion in it is to look at Jesus and what he has done and say, I trust that. I want that. And God does the work 
of new birth. He does the work of initiating new creation in us. The fact that we even could look at Jesus and love him and believe him is a work of God bringing that about. And that is the gift. That's why we need the warning because gifts like that are unbelievable. They're hard to accept because they are so unbelievable. I, one of my one of the stories that just blew me away and I was thinking about this week is that there was a time where, not too long ago, where someone had given me and Lexi a car for free. Somehow they had found out that the two cars that we had were both puttering out. One of them's transmission had blown. The other one had lost its entire, Clearly, I don't know a lot about, about cars, but both of them are not driving. And we were worried that they might not make that much longer. And so somehow they found out that we needed a car. And so this couple approached me and said, hey, we've got a, a, a car. We're about to get a new one. And this one doesn't have a ton of miles on it. And we will give it to you as a gift. I said, sounds great. But deep down inside, I thought, this is not happening. That sounds really cool, but this is not happening. And so they said it'd be a couple months, but we, we would still be able to do it if you'd want to. And so in a month or two from there, they had approached me again and said, hey, do you, would you still want that car? I said, yes. And then I had to talk to them. I said, okay, do you mean give me the car? Like, I'm not gonna pay you anything for the car because I couldn't believe that they would be that generous. Nobody's been that generous to me and I couldn't believe it. And so they said, yeah, we're gonna give you the car. And so even when I was driving or getting a uh, Uber over to their place to pick up the car, in my mind, I still was gonna make sure I had to convince them out of it. Are you sure that you wanna give me this car for free? Because this is an unbelievable amount of generosity. And here's how, here's how ridiculous it was. It, it, legally, you have to exchange for a good like that, a, a, some form of money. And so in order to give me the car, they had to have me pay $1 for the car to sign it over in my name. But when I go to get the dollar out, the couple would not allow me to pay the dollar. Instead, they hand a dollar to me to then give back to them. And then when we go to sign over the title into my name, I said, okay, can I please at least pay for the title to get signed over? No, 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 we got it. And they signed it over. They're trying to give me a gift and all the while, I am the silly man trying to somehow repay it with my dollar or my whatever sense to be able to register the car because gifts like that are unbelievable. How much more is the gift that God gives us in Jesus? Because if we're honest, believing in a creator we can wrap our heads around that. To believe that there was some force, something that could cause all of this to come into being, yeah. Or to believe that God is a judge and that he would finally punish the wicked one day and that there's a set of rules and morals that you need to live by and there is a true thing as justice that comes from above. That's something that we can wrap our minds around and honestly in our culture today, we all really connect with that. But to believe that God would create the world and in spite of their continual rejection of him, come to the world as a gift. And that same God would in love bring grace and truth and be met with opposition and ridicule and be beaten and be killed. In response to our violence towards God, that God instead looks down from the cross and says, Father, forgive them. Now make them children. That, that's hard to believe if we're honest because it's, it's too good to be true. 
And we live in a world where if something seems like it's too good to be true, then we assume it probably isn't. But God has come in Jesus, and he makes us his children for those who believe. That, that's too good, but it is true. That's why we get the prelude, because what we are about to see in John, when you see the stories of Jesus will be so beautiful, so true, and so unbelievable, it's gonna be hard to believe. But to those who do believe, they get to become children. And so today, wherever you are, the invitation is the same. Receive Jesus as a gift and become a child. For those of us who have been walking with Jesus for a while, the invitation's the same. We need to go on continually receiving Jesus as gift laying aside those fake Jesus that are, Jesuses that are of our concoction and turning to the true Jesus of the Gospels. He is the creator of all things. God already knows you intimately. He already recognizes us. The invitation now is for us to know him and to recognize him in Jesus. It is an invitation to let go of the old world categories and to see Jesus on his own terms. The invitation is to receive the gift and maybe we take those old crutches of religion and we set them aside. And we instead, we reach out to God who's inviting us to be our father. And we say, can you carry me instead? We see that Jesus's goal is God's goal and God's goal has always been to make us his sons and his daughters and to restore humanity back to himself. You do not earn your childhood. You do not reason your way into it. You're born into childhood. And so for those of us who believe, we are born into the childhood of God, born by the spirit. And so as we continue today to worship, as we take communion and as we come to the table, we take the, the blood and the body of Jesus and the bread and the wine as proof of the extent that God would go to bring us into his family. Amen.